Welcome to the Crack Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And we're kicking off the narrative lectionary with the flood story. Super happy start. Yeah, isn't it though? I guess it, I, I mean, I guess part of it's happy. <laughs> yes, there's a covenant. Um, well, so here, here's, here's the funny thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you ask, this would be interesting. We should have done this. If you pulled the congregation and said, flood story, happy story, not happy story. It'd be interesting how many people said happy story because our depiction, I mean, we literally make nurseries for our kids out of this scene. The rainbow and where all that God stuff. floods yeah. rainbows and two, two, two by two animals. Like, oh, it's so happy. And think about it, it's like, uh, so we're putting a story about God basically killing off the majority of creation in our kids' bedrooms. Yeah, it, it's it's Woo-hoo! a little yeah, it's it's a little whack. Um, so, oh, what a happy story! <laughs> yeah, it is. It is not um, a an overly happy story from the standpoint of it, it's about lots of people dying. Yeah, um, or or a, or a happy story because God felt that that was kind of the only choice. Right. Like, hey, sorry, good again, gonna have to do this. And, and I think that then that's one of the things I pulled out in my sermon was it was um, God being grieved. It, you know, it wasn't even so much God being angry. It was just God being grieved um, that he had made humanity. Yeah. <laughs> being like, wow, this is such a bad idea. Um, and, you know, for... And we can get into all of the, and we're not really going to, I'm just going to briefly mention, you know, we can get into all of these. So is, is the flood story a real story or not? You know, did it factually, um, historically happen? I mean, the reality is we have flood stories um, in every culture. Um, every ancient culture has a flood story of some sort. Um, what the account in Genesis is doing is regardless of how factual, historically accurate it is, what it's doing is shifting the narrative of that flood and changing it to, you know, because usually it's the gods being angry, et cetera, et cetera, and that's why there's flood, you know, the flood, blah, blah, blah. In this case, it's God being grieved, so, so there's this, this flood, but it's also that moment of God going, well, okay, wait a minute. Um, yeah. There's this guy, Noah. He's not so bad. Maybe I'll save him. Okay, maybe I'll save his family. Okay, maybe I'll save, like, a couple of every other animal that's, you know, let me, let, let me save some of that, too. I mean- so, so, the, so. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe Noah is labeled as righteous, right? Correct. He is labeled as righteous. We have and, no idea why. And we, and we don't really know a whole lot else. So we know that Noah was labeled righteous. Right. How did, he pick the, how did God pick the animals? Were they the most righteous lions and tigers and bears, oh my? Or... He actually leaves the picking up to um, um, Noah. Noah gets to go choose which one. I mean, he oh, says true. of every kind, and then Noah goes and gets them, and... And yeah, it's true. So it was, hmm. Yeah. So 
Hmm. <laughs> it's 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 left up to Noah to go corral the animals. What if you get the the ha the bad sheep of the animals? I, I mean, I'm saying there there and, there and are, there, there there are some some would fish you know, lions to, and tigers and bears out there that you know have like, got attitude issues. Like fit, right. <laughs> so like fish and sea creatures wouldn't would have been exempt because they would right have, would not have they destroyed wouldn't be the sea wiped creatures. out they just get more room yeah huh. interesting and, and the sea i never actually thought of that part of it yeah and the sea creatures would have ruled the earth again but you know huh. that's yeah so this is this is one of the parts that i found kind of interesting we talked about i think after worship this weekend where god said i will never again flood the earth right very specific Flood. Like, very specific. I would never again flood the earth. Right. But there's lots of other options. <laughs> you know, you could you know, torch it, or you could, you know, massive earthquake or plague. I mean, God has a kind of has a history of sending some plagues. So, yeah. I, I mean, you, you, got, you got some options. I just find it really interesting that that's the, that that's the part that, you know, very specifically, I will never again flood the earth. Oh, sweet. We appreciate that. We and appreciate people go, oh, yes, that's so awesome. Yay, God, we're all safe. Uh, and part of it, you know, I also find, I also find interesting, you know, we often talk about being specific. And don't be vague. So, for instance, right at the, you know, maybe a month or so into COVID, right after COVID started, um, I got, I don't know if it was a conversation or like a text exchange or email exchange with one of our young families. And the mother said to me, Pastor Chad, I, I think I caused COVID. And I'm like, whoa. That's powerful. I'm like, what do you mean? She was, I've been praying so hard lately for just, our, just for the pace of life to slow down. We're so busy. We're, we're constantly running. We're all over the place. And I just, I, I just, I've just been praying for some, for some peace and lack of a little bit, a little bit less chaos in our lives. And you know, then COVID happened. And now we're not passing each other, you know, coming in and coming and going, you know, running from one thing to the next over and over and not having time for a family. You know, we actually, you know, Sunday we watched church online and then we played, we played board games and planted a tree, like together as a family. We never get to do that anymore, but we got to. I think I caused COVID, which is like, okay, so... Be specific with what you pray for. Now, clearly, you know, there are reasons other than her praying for that, that sense of peace um, that, that, to cause COVID. I don't think that's actually what happened. However, like, I do think it's important we pray for, have a little bit of specificity in our prayer. You know, pray for it. Pray for what you want. And when you say, when you pray, you know, pray in generalities, uh, what you may be thinking, God's like, oh, yeah, uh-huh, uh, I got that. So and it comes in a different direction. Here's where a lot of people will go with, with this promise. Well, 
clearly we aren't going to have a problem with the seas rising because God never promised, God, God promised to never flood us again. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, not recognizing that, you know, you can, you can still wreak a whole lot of devastation without the entire earth being flooded. Um, and, and clearly floods still happen in general. So, you know, that's, I mean, look at how much of the country in Pakistan, was it two thirds? It was a large, large swath. They say, yeah. oh, well, that's because they're not a Christian nation, and that's... I, I know, I, I know. I, hey, I'm... You can't see our facial expressions. I just gave Chad one of those looks. <laughs> yeah, and, and, not, and, and I don't say that as one of those professing that, well, if they were a Christian nation, the flood wouldn't happen. I mean, let's be honest. We have states that experience, you know, that experience floods and hardships and... You know, yeah. we, we just had some well it's it's kind of like the people that were trying to blame um Katrina on new you know New Orleans and the sin and, of New Orleans right and it's like well God missed because guess what the um all the brothels and <laughs> the, the stripper joints and the bars were spared um those still stood and it was the um the poor people in the lower ninth ward. Yeah. that got smacked with that. So, yeah. yeah, you can you can miss me with that whole um excuse and 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 point, but um it's the the story itself is and of course with the whole um you know, I will not destroy you with a flood again. Of course, you know, people then look at um it's either first or second Peter or he makes a comment about um you know, that, that it'll be by fire that time, you know, next time. And it was funny because somebody was coming up to me after the 1115 worship and was like, you know, there's a lot of fires burning. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. When did, um, when did the one in, in Port St. Lucie start? Um, that started a few days ago when we had one of those really bad thunderstorms. Yeah. Um, the lightning struck and, and hit, a mul- hit a bunch of mulch and started a mulch fire that they're now trying to figure out how to put out so they're going to try and dig a trench around it and flood it <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to put to put the fire out yeah our air quality up in port st Lucie isn't so great at the moment um but i i think when we 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 get distracted by that kind of stuff again it kind of misses the point of what's going on in the story and the point of what is going on in this story is God's commitment to humanity and the earth and creation as a whole, um, of where he had this moment of, I, I, I brought you into the world, I could take you out. And my, you, you've mentioned in your sermon that your mother used to say that. My uh-huh. dad used to say that too. Uh-huh. And I yeah. was just like, okay. <laughs> I, so those are words I don't believe I ever used with my kids. Nope. And I'm not saying that it was anything conscious. Maybe my kids are better behaved than I was. I don't know. It's probably one of those things, though, that it, it was said to you, and therefore you're not real keen on saying it back yeah. kind of things. Could be. Um, I'm not a parent, so I can't really say how I would behave towards my children and if I would be exactly like my mom and my dad and and say such things. <laughs> well, I think generally but, speaking, like in parenting in general, one of two things happens. 
you either are fond of how your parents raised you and you largely emulate that, or you're not and you go, I choose not to parent in that same fashion. Right. I think that generally... That's how that goes. Yeah. Um, what I find sort of fascinating, somebody thanked me for this after the 930 service, is they said, thank you for putting it in the context of, of the whole of Scripture. And, yeah. and looking at it as more than just this sort of one-off story that we all sort of sit there and go, what the heck's up with God? Um, and, and recognizing that this is kind of this pivotal moment. Um, and, and we tend to, when we're doing biblical study, we tend to look at Genesis 1 through Genesis 11 as sort of the, what we, what we refer to as sort of the, um, the mythical cycle and by mythical, I don't mean untrue. By mythical, I mean um, the the way in which a culture develops their their origin story, um, and, and the, how their origins came to be, and and that's what um, a quote creation myth is. is It's an, it's an origin story. Um, it's not about it being like false or something like that, where we think, oh, well, that's a myth. Um, no, this is, the, in, in, in the context of religion, myth has a completely different meaning. And it just means it's the, the um, story that is told to explain your origins. And so this is part of that story. This is part of that origin story. And so it's part of the, the nature of God's story of, of telling us. And the ancient Israelites in particular were really... Um, seeing that flood story, I mean, it takes up several chapters. And part of why it does is because it is so important to, to understand that covenant, or your favorite word, covenantal. Yeah, I, so that was in the prayers this weekend. And for whatever reason, it tied me up. I just could, like I kind of combined covenantal and continental. Yeah. Like I, I know, it was weird, it just didn't want to come out. But but it becomes the story of, well, see how terrible and evil and wicked humanity was, and God was ready, you know, and, and, and God went and decided to destroy it, but then decided, well, maybe not. And, and that becomes a, a story of hope for, for the people if they're facing some kind of destruction, some kind of, you know, thing that is um, horrible. It's that, well, look, God promised not to destroy everything ever again. So for them, I don't think they're focusing on the fact that it was not going to be a flood. <laughs> I think they're focusing much more on the fact that, that this was a... And, and if you look at kind of, even within this, it's one of those things where there is this just continual sort of um, creation-recreation cycle that goes on throughout scripture. And it's real interesting where you go, okay, so this ends with, you know, with, with the destruction and the flood, and then you get um, the covenant. And along with that covenant comes the exact same blessing and command that were given to Adam and Eve, which was go multiply, fill the earth. Yeah. So, so go back and, and redo this thing that, that I just tried to undo. Um, because that's the same same command that he had given to Adam and Eve. So you get you get that sense of it is he's drawing back on. Okay, 
So creation started out as good and it had blessing and all of this stuff. And, and, and God then, labeled it that way. Yes. God labeled it good. And God it was labeled good. it and, and said, go out, multiply, do those things. And then it's this uncreation moment with the flood. I like that. I like that uncreation moment. Yeah, it's an uncreation moment. And then it's back to, okay, here's my blessing. Here's the command. Be fruitful and multiply. The divine oops. Yep. Go, go back and, and do this. And then the next story we get is, is Babel. So there was a real interesting um, thing I read about Babel and, and going into the Hebrew. And I'm not, I, I can't quote all of it because it's a really long, long thing. But essentially... In the Hebrew, if you really dig into it, what is going on with Babel is not so much, well, they're trying to build this big thing that goes up to heaven. It was about establishing empires. And because it, it, the comment gets made where it says um, that the person who's doing this notes that um, it was clear that there were, earlier in, in Genesis, there is reference two different languages so when you get to the tower of babel story it starts talking about the single language it, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because well there were there were other languages going on um but it's about it's about this this building of empire and it's a story about um the oppressiveness of empire and how empire is, you know, essentially that thing that is so against God because of how it operates and its nature and what it tries to be. What does it try to be? Well, it tries to be the thing that rules in your life. Yeah. And so it's a it's it's this this moment of okay, humans have come together now and they have created empire and they have created, um, you know, slavery and things like that that all goes along with the empire and God kind of crushes it and, and scatters it and is like, nope, nope, you don't get to do that. <laughs> don't want you doing that. And then we make a move. So if you're following the movement of how things happen where it's, you have creation, you have um, blessing, covenant, and then you have sin, then you have destruction, and then you have recreation. So with the Sahara Babel story, you kind of have the destruction thing going on. But then it's a question of, so where's the recreation part? Where's the new covenant, the recreation well, what's the next thing that comes right after Babel? Next week. Next week. Correct. <laughs> the, <laughs> the story next week. The story next week is Abraham. Yep. And it immediately launches into uh, the uh, story of, of Abraham and the covenant God makes. And again, there's a blessing there of um, basically multiply. It's like your, your, your descendants will be 
more than the, the, the sands, you know, or the stars of the sky, sands on a beach, whatever, um, is that, again, the blessing of multiplying, becoming more. And then as I point out, you know, then the rest of scripture kind of keeps going through this in, in smaller forms instead of being this huge worldwide creation thing, just in smaller forms of how there is sin and there is destruction and then there is deliverance and, and, and promise and blessing and blah, 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 all the way through Jesus who himself then is again another promise and another blessing. And, and then scripture kind of sort of is at an end, so we just have to look at human history <laughs> in general and start kind of seeing those patterns that, that play out. And for me, one of the most fascinating things in this was the, the realization of looking at the Hebrew, and I actually pulled out my Hebrew Bible to look up the words, um, and it, it, the, the word for corrupt and the word for destruction are exactly the same word. And I found that fascinating, just for me, um, in terms of, you know, when it, whenever you're calling anything corrupt, you're also calling it destructive. Because it is. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, it's like, okay, that makes sense. Because yeah. when you are corrupt, you're destroying something. If nothing else, you're destroying trust. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of one of those things for me as well of I can't decide whether it's hope or whether it's defeat <laughs> to recognize, you know, well, okay, God gets that our heart's corrupt. God gets that we're destructive. And that just seems to be the, the cycle that we are always trapped in. And, yeah. and how does that cycle break? Yeah. And, and how does that change? How, how does the heart go from, you know, the human heart go from being wicked and destructive to being something that is actually life-giving and, you know, more in line with how God wanted to, to make us? And of course, the only answer that I think we wind up getting is that somewhere along the line there has to be that, that death and recreation, death and resurrection. But man, we do not like the death part. No. And we don't like the death part, so we, it's hard to, to see or imagine the resurrection. You know, here, here's the irony, right? As Christians, we're resurrection people. Yep. But not our own. But not what? Not our own. You know, we're, we're, oh, Jesus, yeah, great. Jesus died and, and rose again. Awesome. But we can't see that for ourselves, for our systems, for our... Our society. We can, our society. It's, it's hard to imagine a society, I guess, without the corruption and, and the, you know, yeah. the way humans behave. It's like trying to even envision what that might look like becomes really hard yeah because yeah. on the one because we're all so different I think is part of it and one of those things where it's there, there's beauty in diversity and then there's also the pain in diversity well I, you know, I, I look at look at the church 
with a capital C. And the church with a capital C talks a lot about, oh, we have to let things die and, 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 and resurrect in something new, new life. But damn, we do everything we can to not, not go through the whole death part of it. Oh, we just want to skip right to the resurrection piece. Um, and, and I think it's, it's so not healthy or helpful. We have, you know, congregationally speaking, and we have congregations that cling to life. Um, and when I say they're on hospice, they're like, that's, that's generous. Um, you know, literally clinging to life. And we just can't imagine what it looks like to have that congregation die and resurrect itself as something else. Yeah. Um, that that, that it, sometimes yeah. death in that respect is not always the worst possible thing that could happen. Yeah. And, so, and admittedly, sometimes I wonder if that wasn't also kind of God's view with the flood where, okay, the worst possible thing that could happen here is not that humanity goes bye-bye. <laughs> That's not the worst possible thing um, going on here. Well, and part of it, so we're so egocentric, you know, we can't imagine hum humanity not being a part of existence. Right. Like, we're so self-centered. Like, well, the world couldn't live with, wouldn't, couldn't operate without us. Really? I mean, there are ecosystems that exist without humanity and, like, kind of exist well without humanity. You know, it, it's, hard, it's hard to find places where humanity is involved that humanity hasn't made creation worse. I mean... I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm like, I'm like legit struggling with where humanity has made creation better. Right. Um, well, the, the example I used um, in my sermon was when we all went on lockdown for COVID, yep. how quickly, how quickly the earth responded right. to less human involvement. Yep. Um, the dolphins showed back up in Venice in Italy that they yeah. hadn't seen in however, you know, who knows yeah. how long. We're suddenly in the, you know, the channels. Uh, they were back because the pollution was down. Yeah. And the air quality, I think they were showing like the air quality of India and, and things like that, that it was, it was amazing to, to view. And... It, like I said, it, it kind of dri drives home how destructive we really are. Yep. Um, and, and how our, on the one hand, we have had some amazing advances in technology, but there are downsides to that. Well, right. So we're like, oh, but yeah, but we did, we solved this. Well, we created the problem. You don't, you don't, you don't, necess you don't get credit. You shouldn't get credit for creating a problem and then solving it. <laughs> right like oh yeah look look what we did well if we didn't screw and it look, up to be if, if we didn't screw it up we wouldn't need to fix it look i set that fire and then i brought a hose to put it out right it's, it's literally it's, that's what i was thinking you know, it's the fireman who's the arsonist right right so the firefighter that goes in and sets the fire so they can put it out and go woohoo look at me i put out a fire well you started the fire like like i mean literally we we want to we want to pat ourselves on the back for fixing 
crap that we created ourselves. I, I, I just... Right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's good that we do go fix it. It's good to, you know, it's good to put the fire that we started out. Correct. Um, kind of reminds me of the song, We Didn't Start the Fire. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, old Billy Joel. And, uh, and, 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 you know, kind of the point of that song is that, you know, look, this is, this has been going on for a while. We, we, you know, our, our generation isn't the generation that started this nonsense, but how are we going to respond to it? How are we going to deal with it now? Um, so we didn't actually, we weren't actually the ones that maybe started these problems, but how do we now fix them? Um, and what commitment do we have to trying to fix them, I think, is the bigger question. Right. Um, because, again, we have a Babel problem. We, we, we have an empire problem. Yeah. We, we have a problem that um, focuses on power and economics and systems that take the powerful and continue to lift them up while stomping all over the average person, disenfranchised, the marginalized, etc. Um, and, yeah. and creates systems of um, poverty and in some cases even literal slavery. And, you know, how do we, and, and we never, it, it's, it's kind of sad to me that we don't actually ever, in any lectionary, we don't ever talk about Babel. And I'm sure part of it is because it's not going to be one of the easier texts you really have to. The narrative never, never, never touches on that story? Mm, mm-mm. Hmm. We get the, the flood, and that's, that's pretty much as late as you go. Um, and it, it always goes from a creation story to Abraham, one of the Abraham stories yeah. right off the bat for the second week. Hmm. Um, first week, you know, of course, for this year is the flood, and then it mainly it's, it's going to be a creation story. It's going to be the um, Adam and Eve story. can't remember what the third one is, but it doesn't have anything to do with Babel. But it's... Interesting. Um, yeah. I guess I didn't realize that. Yeah. So we maybe, maybe it's because I, I, maybe I'm thinking of, um, you know, Pentecost speaking in tongues and confusing that with ba- the Babel story. Maybe. Right. Because I thought I thought we I thought we hit Babel at some point in the lectionary, but. Um, I don't. I, I, I'm pretty sure we don't. I have oh, never, I trust your I have never preached mine. on Babel. I trust your memory more than mine. Yeah, I was gonna say. I know I have never. I have never preached on, on Babel, so we never really get... Hey, we could do a sermon series on Babel. <laughs> Not so sure there's a whole series there. Yeah, we can make one. Um, we could make one and then go, ugh, what were we thinking? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, that was really a bad idea. Um, and, and I get it. Part of it is is it's not a <laughs> it's not an overly feel-good story. And again, it, it, because it doesn't end in a positive way, because the positive ending to it is Abraham, which is, I think, why it, we just kind of skip over it. Because that's, that's not a story. And I think there's a lot of um, 
part of it is interpreting that story is, is not the easiest in the world either. It's like, well, okay, what was the problem here? And there are a lot of different ways people go with what the problem was. Right. Um, you know, I've, pre I've presented one, which is not necessarily the one that, um, you know, most people go with because as Christians, we tend to take it as, as, um, the antithesis to Pentecost. You know, it was the thing that scattered language Pentecost then because becomes the thing that, that, um, brings it all back together. Um, and I'm not so sure that that's necessarily what this story is about, is really about the language issue. Um, but Yeah, agreed. Yeah. You know, I, I think maybe that's the wrong focus. That's the, well, it's the easy. Yeah. It's the, it's, the easy, it's the easy way out. It's the easy, it's a path of least resistance. And I think, you know, often, one of the things I, I appreciate about this, this lectionary is it doesn't always give you the easy way out. Um, you know, generally speaking, the Revised Common, which is the most familiar lectionary, um, you're getting a couple readings to choose from, and you can go, uh, that one's kind of tricky. I'm going to preach this one because it's easier. Right. Whereas the narrative is like, this is, your, this is your text for the week. This is it. Have you you it. don't get another one. Good luck. Yep. Um, and it kind of challenges you and forces you to you know, maybe tackle the text. Now, you, there's... There are ways often, there are often ways where you can take a challenging text and, you know, put a spin on it to make it, to sugarcoat it sometimes um, so you can avoid the topic. Right. But the reality is, like, you still have to be faithful to the text. And we should, and, we, and that's something I appreciate. You know, we generally try to be faithful to the text. And even when those messages are sometimes hard to hear, um, you know, I, I get it. I mean, I would love to preach shiny, happy stuff every week. That'd be great. But the reality is, one, Scripture doesn't necessarily bear that out. And Scripture's big into dealing with um, the messiness of human life. Yeah. And which is part of what I love about it, personally. Right, right. And, and ironically, humanity is not big on dealing with the messiness of life. So... Also, many preachers are not interested in dealing with the messiness of life. Why? Because it makes their jobs messier. Right. Right? But then what happens is you get, you get people that have grown up in the church that have never wrestled with the messiness of life and as it pertains to Scripture, and you get unhealthy theology that is, and, and things like cheap grace— Mm -hmm. um, and judgment. Well, and which... and there's such a, t a line to toe because the other the other realm of that is to go way too far into the legalistic pure, you right. know, um, puritanical kind of um, understanding of right. uh, demonizing people. Well, um, I think I think that's that's why it's important, and we you know again something else we talk about a lot is the arc of scripture and comparing scripture to scripture. Um, you know, in, in the text this for next week, it talks about essentially um, Abraham taking his slaves with him. Oh, look, there's slavery in the Bible. It's okay to have slaves. 
um, which at one point in our nation's history was a thing, you know, justified mm-hmm. scripturally. Um, so the slaves were okay. Look, it's in scripture. Um, now, if you're if you're taking that interpretation, I would argue, and I don't think it's a far stretch to say you're missing a lot of the arc of scripture um, if you're justifying slavery. Um, yeah, I, I've seen I've seen a lot of people lately trying to justify slavery or defending it, and I'm just kind of there's definitely. No. <laughs> There's definitely some pretty serious backsliding right now um, with uber-conservative church um, into slavery, um, into... uh, Well, and part of that is because one of the uber-conservative denominations in Christianity happens to be one of the largest um, denominations in Christianity, which also happens to have been founded specifically for the purposes of defending and maintaining slavery. Yeah. And so there's a huge problem there. Yeah. Not that we all don't have our issues and we all don't have a history and we all don't have some bad things that we did in each denomination and whatever. But when that was your founding principle, yeah. you have some problems. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's the part I can't quite get away from there. It's like the fact that, you know, it, it's, it's, that's kind of where a lot of it's coming from now, the defense of it. Yeah. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you guys have clearly not left that past behind. Yeah. Um, and, and part of that is, you know, I'm going to say something really controversial here, but I think part of that is because we have done absolutely nothing in terms of um, actual reparations to, yeah. to correct that wrong. Yeah. It's, it's we took, a, you know, a bunch of people who were oppressed, who were slaves, um, and then said, okay, well, you're not slaves anymore. Why aren't you at the same level we're at? Yep. When there was a systemic push to keep them from reaching that level, I, like I said, I, I brought this up before. You got to remember, civil rights was the 1960s. That has not been a hundred years ago. There are people yeah. still. I mean, that's my parents' generation in yep. terms of um, you know actually fighting it. And I, I was born. Literally, just like right after that, like like a decade after a lot of that. It was it was funny. We did a, I don't remember what we called it. We did a a Bible study where we talked about King and Bonhoeffer and Tutu. Oh yeah, we did the uh, Voices what, of Change that's what study. It was. And when we were talking about MLK, it was it was funny to me that I was the only person in the room. Who didn't remember him? Who didn't have a firsthand account of yeah. of what of how it how it happened? And you know, like, oh, that's I mean, you're right. It's not like it's that far off in our history. Well, um, I mean, right here and where where we live, we live in Palm City, Florida. Palm City, Florida had segregated bathrooms up until 1992. Yeah, I was in college. And yet we're told, 
you know, repeatedly that racism isn't an issue here. It's not something we need to deal with. Oh yeah, except some middle school kids at our local middle school decided to pose on social media holding up, spelling out the N-word from an art project that they did, very, very deliberately, very intentionally. And then people kind of do some, some pearl clutching on, <gasps> not in our community. Uh, <laughs> Let me tell you about our community. Yeah. And, and I'm new to the community, relatively speaking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, let's be honest. From a community standpoint, we're not, doing any, we're not doing a damn thing to try and fix it. No. You know, I mean, we're not. We're not it, I would argue that as a community, we're, we're actually going the other way. Not only are we not doing anything to fix it. We're making um, it worse. We're making it worse. Um, yeah. You know, the, you're not, you know, we don't, because we don't want to make... We don't want to make, I, I want to be really blunt, it's going to piss some people off. We don't want to make white kids uncomfortable. Right. I mean, we don't mind making other people uncomfortable, but we don't want to make white kids uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, I'm sorry, but sometimes you have to be a little uncomfortable to, it's a, it's a learning Well, experience. you never you never change anything if you don't feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Or in some cases, a lot uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, right. And, I mean, it's it, it's kind of like, you know, I, I think every kid growing up experiences the "don't touch the stove; it's hot; you'll burn yourself." Mm-hmm. We're told that it's a bad thing, and most of us don't touch the stove. But I feel like with you know with this, it's like, well, let's just not talk about it and hope it doesn't keep happening. Uh. Well, let's, 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 let's have our kids hold up racist signs and see how that plays out in the community. And then boo-hoo when my kids are being, my kids are being you know, threatened and my kids are being expelled from school. Well, no kidding. I, I just, I don't know. And then, we, and then you know, I really feel like society right now is tempting that whole, I will never again flood the earth. Yeah. Well, and, you know, when I asked a question a little bit ago, I said, you know, what is it that that changes the human heart? Um, What causes things like repentance and whatever? And you're going to you're going to love me because I'm going to make reference to something that, you know, you you love it when I make reference to (laughs) every single time. Not every. There have been a few where I did not. Um, But. This is kind of interesting when you when you do read Revelation because <laughs> let's but let's think about this. How do people think about the world ending? They look at Revelation, right? Yeah. And and you know, it's pulling on imagery of the plagues and all that kind of stuff where there's all this death, this destruction and whatever. What is so interesting though if you really read Revelation closely is that is not what brings about Repentance and change. And, and Revelation actually is kind of, it, it's kind of clear there, there, except for the fact that we have turned it into something else, so we miss it. Yep. Because we've had this other way of understanding it for, for so long. But what, we, what, 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 we, what happens is you have all these plagues, all these things that are, are coming down upon humanity, and what winds up happening is the people, rather than turning to God, guess what they turn to? 
they turn to the things that are afflicting them and start to worship that. <laughs> it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. Wait a minute. That's not how this goes. And it isn't until, and basically it's, it's, it, it's sort of then God kind of hits the, because this is when you hit like the seventh trumpet and that's ready to blow and you're expecting this huge cataclysmic destruction and instead what happens is a big pause. Yeah. And God even tells John, you know, goes, look, don't, don't write down the judgments because... I'm going to try something different. Yeah. I'm going to do something different. So there's this, okay, this, this clearly was not working. <laughs> this was not having the desired effect. Just like the flood does not have the desired effect in terms of it does nothing to change the human heart. And, and God notes that. He's like, nope, they're still wicked. They're, yep. they're, they're still corrupt. They're still destructive. They're still doing these things. That has not changed. And I've always talked about Revelation as kind of being a miniature version of the entire Bible story. And that's kind of what it is, where it's like there's this, this moment of, of all of this destruction going on, and then God pauses. And God says, okay, this doesn't work. What will? What works? Right. And what winds up working is the gospel message. What winds up working is, he, he, he says, okay, <laughs> John, I want you to go out and I want you to try this again. I want you to go out and I want you to euangelion, which, which is preach the good news. Yeah. Preach the good news. Go out, preach the good news. Go out and, 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 and that, at the end of that cycle, Everybody turns to God at that point, with the exception of like 7,000 that get destroyed. But that's, again, a kind of a symbolic thing, where it's the exact opposite of the Elijah. You know, hey, nobody, uh, nobody is faithful to God. And God goes, well, there are 7,000 that are faithful to me. Um, <laughs> and, and it's kind of a flipping of that, of um, instead of only 7,000 worshiping, it's all but these 7,000. Um, are are turned in worshiping God, but it's it's such a different way to read Revelation to understand that, and and then at the end of that that cycle is you get the um, the the beautiful hallelujah song. <laughs> <laughs> the kingdom of our God, you know, um, uh, of, of our God has become the, the kingdom of our, our Lord and King. Um, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our, our Lord and King. Um, pointing out that, you know, sort of the heaven on earth thing has now occurred. The, the thing that we keep hoping and wanting for that comes after that and then and then you get into chapter 12 which which starts a whole new cycle of, of things from a different perspective but that's another story but in in that phase of, of revelation is that you know kind of that same thing that's going on in in Genesis where it's that that pivotal moment of okay this doesn't work <laughs> this this 
this isn't the thing that's going to fix the problem. Destruction doesn't fix it. Destruction does not change the human heart. Destruction does not turn people toward me. That's what I was going to say. You can't, you can't hate and judge people to Jesus. No. I mean, telling people they're going to hell... I'm sorry for so many people. It's not compelling. But man, what happens if we just love people? Right? Ah. And boy, do we find that hard. Right. Like, and I get it. I, I, I find it hard to, to <laughs> I find it hard to love my enemies, so to speak. Um, I, th- I, think the, I think the challenge right now I, I agree with that statement, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's hard. It's hard to love your enemies. Um, and and I, I would say, I, I would expand it because I think when we say enemies, that's a, that's a more narrow term. Right. I, I, I think it's love the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think the challenge right now is there are so many others. There are so many ways in which, you know, we... You can other somebody. We can other somebody, and we do it all the time. And it's gotten to the point where, you know, we're othering people over so many things. It's really hard to find people that aren't the other. And, and, and uh, we just keep dividing and dividing and dividing. And the next thing you know you look around and you're sitting in a room and you go, huh, we all agree. Yeah. And that's, that's just never, it's just never healthy because we don't, we often don't surround ourselves with a diverse group with right. lots of others. And, and I think that's the part of, of resurrection that, um, and, and sort of this, you know, this new life and, and everything that is so hard for us to envision is everybody getting along and agreeing. Well, people are going to be really pissed, right? Yeah. I mean, they're going to be really pissed because the other is there also. Going to be there too. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know you were going to be here. Well, uh, and how often do you hear, well, if you're going to be there, I'd rather go to the other place. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, if, if this right. means that this group of people is going to be saved, I don't want to be there. Yeah. And um, I see that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and that's just, that's astounding to me. Um, we've just gotten to that, that point where it's just so toxic. And, and, and I get it because, I mean, it, it's that question of, well, what if Hitler's there? What if Stalin's there? What if, you know... It's like, how, how do you reconcile that? And recognizing there still has to be a justice element in there somewhere. And I think the reality is we just completely do not understand what happens. Yeah. And, and, and what, you know, it's... Well, and our definition of justice is... is skewed. Is, re- is retru- retributive. Yeah. You know, not restorative. Right. It's, well, justice means I need to you know, I need to hurt you in order for there to be justice. And, and maybe God's vision of justice is different. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I guarantee it is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, 
I don't think God's vision of justice is the death penalty. Well, it's kind of one of those things where it, it's, on the one hand, I find some things, you know, when we're, we're talking Old Testament kind of stuff, I find so many things that I, I relate to God on and, and on, on what he gets kind of irritated by, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, oh, okay, like I said, I can, I can hear my mother's voice <laughs> in, in a couple of things. Um, last week it was the, um, I could hear my mother's voice in, in um, I might kill you on the way um, because that's how much you irritate me. <laughs> right. um, I, I, I hear it in the, I, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of this world. Um, so, so I hear those things and I, I kind of chuckle a little bit because I'm like, okay, I hear, I hear the parent, um, in that, but then there's also the, my ways are not your ways. Yeah. And we have to remember that and remember how we do things and how God do, does things maybe aren't going to be the same. Yeah. And acknowledging the reality, we have absolutely no idea what it's going to look like. And I think that's hard for us to do. I think it's hard for us to just sit in that um, because we're, we're very answer-oriented. We want answers to things. We want, we want to know what to expect because the unknown is terrifying. Yeah. Um, well, and I, yet we have to fully admit we have no idea what any of that's going to look like. No clue. Um, I think some things we would find comforting. I think some things we would find not so comforting. Right. You know, how, how much of me is wrapped up in um, some of the bad things that I do? And if that gets wiped away, how much of me keeps going? <laughs> you know, it's a lot of hard questions that we do not have answers for, and I think we need to be more comfortable saying we don't know. We don't have those answers. Well, I th I th and I'll add to that, we don't know, we don't have the answers, therefore, I'm going to respond with love and grace. Right. As opposed to hate and judgment. Um, because why do we, we, we err on that side? Sounds kind of Jesus-y. Well... I err on that side. Yes, it's Jesus-y. But it's because, to me, that's what the whole arc of Scripture is about. Right. Is, yeah, there's some stuff in there. There's some condemnation. There's some, you know, that kind of stuff. But ultimately, Scripture always points us to God's grace and mercy. That's always the end of something. Even the flood story. What's the end of the flood story? Grace, yep. mercy, promise, new creation. Yep. And so for me, it's like, well, if that's how God ends things, maybe that's how we ought to look at how we end things <laughs> um, and how we behave is how God behaves. Recognizing, okay, yeah, sometimes we maybe do things we regret. And, but also how do we go, how do we make it right and how do, we, how do we continue forward through, you know, with grace and mercy? And recognizing that in this world where sin does exist, there are consequences. There are, you know, it, it's okay when, you're, when you have corruption and whatever, guess what's going to happen? Destruction. I mean, that's just, it's, it's a natural consequence of, of things. You're going to have, this is the one story where God is kind of the cause of it. The rest of the time, it's all human rot destruction. It's all humans doing it. 
it's all humans being bad towards other humans well, that it, brings down their society. And, and I mean, if we're being honest, God didn't just on a whim say, hey, I think it'd be kind of fun to... Destroy everything? Yeah. Destroy the earth. Um, so you could argue that there's human cause there as well. Right. Um, well, and even at the, the, the end of our Bible... Um, with all of the, quote, destruction and stuff that we read in Revelation, the whole point is that it's a recreation of the earth in terms of heaven on earth. Yeah. It's, again, it ends in that same, with that same hope, that same promise, the exact same thing. It ends the way it begins. Yep. Only we're finally... When we end, we're, we're back in the presence of God. We're back in the, the way that um, everything started out with creation. So this is the arc of Scripture, is, is we wind up back in the presence of God. We wind up restored to that relationship that was good, that God called good. Has it changed? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's differences. There are different ways in which this, this looks like because you don't ever sin and not have a changed relationship. But God has this ability to restore something that has been destroyed and has been broken. Yeah. And that's the promise. The ultimate promise of all of Scripture is that restoration, that recreation, that promise, that blessing. And that's what it ends on. It doesn't end with the sin and the destruction. It ends with the promise. And I think that is what we, as especially as Christians, always need to be focusing on is that is always how it ends. Yeah. And we're kind of at time. So unless you have anything to add. No. No. <laughs> Next week, we get to talk about Abraham, another covenant, another new beginning, another blessing, um, another uh, moving forward in the relationship with God, um, you know, the, the relationship that gets forged in the beginnings of the relationship with a particular group of people, the descendants of Abraham, yep. and how that will become a blessing to the world. And we will talk more about that next week. So we will talk to you then. See ya. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.